Hello and welcome to the Game World Cup podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. We're back at the start of the final round of group games in France and England have already booked their place in the knockout rounds. Here to analyse all of the play, we're joined by the former England, West Ham and Chelsea defender Claire Rafferty and down the line from France from the Sunday Times, we have Rebecca Myers. Later on, we'll be discussing goalkeepers for the right reasons, but we start with England and the game that will decide whether they top the group. Phil Neville's side will play Japan on Wednesday. Knowing a win or a draw, we'll see them finish top of Group D after a 1-0 win over Argentina. If they finish top, they'll play one of the third-place teams, whereas if they finish second, it will be either the Netherlands or Canada in the round of 16. So, Claire, just how important is it for England to get that top spot? I think it's absolutely paramount that England really strive to get that number one spot. It's all about giving themselves um, the best possible opportunity to to progress in this tournament. And in doing so, you know, they will um, avoid some some really big giant hitters here um, who have been performing really well. Um, Let's not kind of overlook the threat of Japan. They'll be equally wanting to top the group to do exactly the same. And they are really growing into this tournament. So um, I do think Phil will be... uh, putting out a a full-strength squad for this game. Let's not underestimate Japan, you say. Well, England do have previous with them, losing painfully to them in the semi-finals four years ago, but they did beat them 3-0 in the She Believes Cup in March. So, Rebecca, for you, should England be favourites? Should is the crucial word there, really, isn't it? (laughs) They should be, yes. Um, We're really hoping they would be. Um, And like you said, on paper, they they are the favourites, but... um, we, we can't underestimate Japan. In the past, they have proved a really tricky team to break down. On the other hand, I think the team that we saw play Argentina and, and were held to that nil-nil draw weren't the Japan that we probably came into this tournament thinking they would be. Um, so there is some room there maybe maybe to say that they're, they're not as strong as they have been. Like I said, also, we beat them at the She Believes Cup. So it's sort of, I think, a compromise between what we know about Japan from the past, what we're seeing from them here, and not getting complacent because we think that they're, they're maybe slowing up a little bit this tournament. Phil Neville, of course, made a few changes for that win over Argentina. One of those was that uh, Jodie Taylor came in, who scored the only goal of the game. She won the Golden Boot in 2017, perhaps been less prominent under Neville than she was under Mark Sampson. So, Claire, should she keep her place? It's a a tough one, isn't it? I think um, it depends what he's going for in this game. For me, Jodie Taylor is an out-and-out striker. She's very reliable in big tournaments and she will always score for you. Um, That's been proven um, in the 2015 World Cup and obviously as you said getting the golden boot in the Euros but I think it, it depends on the tactics that he's going for in this game Ellen White work ethic I think tops Jodie's um, I'm not sure what the statistics actually are but it visually it looks like uh, you know if you're going for that high press and, you, and you're trying to do the counter press often Ellen White is the one uh, to start in that game equally if you, if you want more um, movement in the box and a more kind of cutting edge I would go for Jody. Um it is a tough one it is up for debate I think they both have their qualities um I'm going to I'm going to have to say Jody. I'm going to I'm <laughs> going to go there just because for me she, she will always score even if she's missed five or six in a row it doesn't matter because at the end of the day she'll always come up when it's um, needed yeah I mean Rebecca Taylor appears to be one of those players that just comes alive when it comes to those big games yeah absolutely I mean a lot of there have been a lot of talk of how she hadn't scored in such a long time before before the game last week. I think John was saying it was over a year since she'd scored in, in a in a tournament match. Um, but then when when the time comes and she is pressed and she is put under that amount of pressure, she just thrives. And I, I don't think we see other players 
with quite that extreme reaction. She really is. I mean, Phil says over and over again, she's a big game player. She's a big game player. And he says that he knows he can bring her in and she will um, thrive under that pressure. And I think I'd sort of taken it with a pinch of salt until I saw her in that game, um, you know, against, against Argentina. And she just flew. She was fantastic. So... I think, yeah, you, we've got to just trust her at this stage. We've got to trust that she can keep doing that and trust that she can um, put it off on, on the big stage, which she seems so so sort of brilliantly equipped to do. Let's talk about the goalkeeping situation. Of course, Carly Telford made her first major tournament appearance 12 years after her England debut in that last game for England. It was a, a long time coming, Claire. Yeah, and um, I've been a part of that journey with her for quite a long time, so I've seen the kind of ups and downs that that, that brings. Um there's a lot of disappointment that people don't see, uh, you know, when you're consistently playing so well for, for your club team and then unfortunately you don't get the call up um, to get that start in, in a World Cup or a major tournament. That can be very frustrating, but it's all down to the to the manager's preference. And sometimes with a goalkeeper, you know, they're, they're set in their ways, even if the goalkeeper's not performing. Um, and, and for Carly, I think she's unfortunately, you know, had to survive some of them situations. Um, equally, I think for her, she's a similar age to to some of the other goalkeepers. So, whereas you kind of, you know, you have that more experienced goalkeeper, and then, you know, they move on or they retire, then you kind of fill their places. There's been a few goalkeepers coming up who are a similar age, similar similar caliber, um, and and that's created a difficult, um, not a difficult, but like a high level of competition. And um, for her to get this World Cup debut. I actually wasn't aware that she hadn't played in the World Cup mm. because obviously she's played in games and she played in big games uh, in qualification. Uh, so for me, I, I don't see it as that big a deal because she's played. Yeah. Um, yes, she hasn't played in a World Cup, but up until then, I didn't know who was counted. <laughs> um, but clearly, yeah, I think it's in, entwined with the emotion of you know what's happened to her in the last couple of years. Um, and I think that all combined made quite a good story. Uh, and... And I know that her family would be very proud of her having made that uh, World Cup debut. Yeah, you mentioned her story. Well, Telford's mother died last year, meaning she never got to watch her daughter play in a leading tournament. Neville had some special words for her and also for Fran Kirby, whose mother died of a brain hemorrhage when Fran was only 14. It would have been her mother's birthday on Friday night. And Rebecca, we saw some moving scenes after that win. Yeah, we did. Very, very moving. Um, I mean, Fran, for her part, sort of, breakdown in tears really when the final whistle went and, and they'd won I mean what she's spoken extensively about this now and um, I think to have a game of that magnitude on a you know, day of that importance to her personally was obviously just overwhelming emotionally um, and I think the thing is we, we hear so much about this family atmosphere Phil you know talks a lot about how important it is that the players feel connected to each other and to him and that he he creates that family atmosphere but we haven't sort of seen it necessarily until that moment and that was I mean you know what a what proof of that extraordinary atmosphere they've created you know you saw him sort of hands on her head sort of really holding her as she cried and it was really um it was really quite something because I think a lot of managers wouldn't necessarily know what to do in that situation but he um I think it was a sign of the bond that he's created with those players yeah, absolutely. And uh, Matt Dickinson speaks in depth to Fran Kirby about her career and coping with the loss of her mother in the second Lifetimes podcast, which is out tomorrow. You can listen to that and the first episode with Paul Pogba on your regular podcast app. Now let's look elsewhere. 
in France. It was a record-breaking match between the USA and Chile, which saw Carly Lloyd score twice, making her the first player to score in six successive World Cup games. But everyone was talking about Christiane Enler, the Chile goalkeeper. She made a string of superb saves, including one from uh, Kristen Press's header that our old friend Rory Smith from the New York Times called one of the best he'd ever seen live. Now, Claire, there's been a lot of discussions on goalkeeping errors and even reducing the goal sizes, but this was a really impressive performance from the Chile goalkeeper. Yeah, she oh, she's superb and she was so ugh, just so fantastic in that game. And um, I was reflecting actually because she, she played for Chelsea uh, for a short time. Um, and I remember she I, it was back when we weren't fully professional. So she, she got brought in. Emma obviously highlighted her um, potential. Um, she came in, she was fantastic, but because of uh, you know, she was so far away from home, um, the kind of situation wasn't as it would be now, as in accommodation and everything. Mm. I think she was quite um, lonely and homesick and she ended up leaving. Um, and I, I remember when she left, we were all kind of a bit gutted because she was very, very good. Mm. Um, and we knew we kind of lost uh, someone who, who could have you know been the difference between a FA Cup win or loss or you know a Champions League win or loss um, but unfortunately Chelsea weren't at the stage to be able to keep her um, and she, she then went on um, and is currently at PSG and I think uh, Hope Solo said in, in the review that her price would have absolutely rocketed and that's exactly what it would have done I think PSG will uh, be fighting to get I know she's got two years left on a contract but uh, she's now, you know, entered this world stage, and everyone knows her name. Um, she will be one of the best goalkeepers, and I think even before she actually already was one of the best goalkeepers. She just kind of wasn't out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a fantastic performance, and so great to be on the back of all this kind of negative debate, and not negative debate, debate ar- around the size of the goals, the quality of the goalkeeping, and that just goes to show. Look, if you get the training right, you get the kind of professionalism right. Um, our goalkeepers can be world class. Mm. Yet for all of Enla's heroics, the US still won 3-0. So that is 16 scored in two games, none conceded. Rebecca, in your eyes, are they the favourites? I think it's very hard to argue they're not. <laughs> as, much as, I, as much as I'd like to um, to try. I mean, yes, they are, clearly, just in terms of their, their dominance. And certainly, obviously, in the Thailand game, which everyone's been talking about. I have to admit, I watched the game last night and I, I wasn't wowed by them and I came away thinking it wasn't certainly wasn't their best performance but then you know obviously context that's still a 3-0 win which we, mm. we certainly haven't achieved yet so I think you know obviously expectations for the US it's just it is a different calibre of performance um, I spoke to Julie um, Fowdy who is a, one of the 99ers who won the World Cup in 99 with the US team um, uh, yeah, last week and she was saying one of the weaknesses she does think they maybe now have um, with this slightly fresher, younger squad is um, is defensively. They've got a very, very, very creative midfield, brilliant players in midfield and forwards. Um, but she was saying defensively, there's maybe there's a little bit less experience, certainly goalkeeper-wise, after they lost Hope Solo, they've got a bit more of a... Um, a bit less experience in, in goal, as it were, uh, whereas Hope was so reliable. So... You know, we might see actually if, if there's a team who can push into um, their defence, we might see the holes there. I think obviously so far we've not seen any team up against them who's capable of necessarily penetrating their their defence. But if we put up a you know certainly a France team against them, then I really think that that could be a slightly different story. And that's when you're going to see less of these clean sheets and much more 
challenge to them and whether that then throws a little bit of chaos in amongst it we'll have to see I mean their home to their mindset but I don't think they're infallible by any stretch mm. the, the bookies have England as third favourites behind France so, but Claire who else has impressed you so far in this tournament? Well leading into the tournament I did kind of uh, tip Australia to be up there um, but they've had a a frustrating few games even though they did come back from 3-2 against Brazil I was impressed by that determination and, and strength of the team uh, but for me the, the standout has been Norway I was very aware of the talent they had they've got quite a few Chelsea players um, you know they've got Hansen in the middle Engen um, but watching them against France live especially in the first half I I was kind of just like wow that if when these guys are clicking it really kind of was flowing, the fluidity of the movement. Um, they, they've got that flair with Royton on the wing. Um, they, you know, they've got a central figure with uh, Hasloven up top. And then you, you've got Marin and, and Torres Dottier at the back. Um, and I thought they were really, really unfortunate to, to not get something from that game um, against a very strong France team. So for me, um, I'd, I'd be tipping Norway. Uh, also, you know, I know they had a frustrating Euros, but in the 2015 um, campaign when we beat them, they were actually the better team in that game. And um, I remember on reflection, I'm thinking how lucky we were to go through because uh, we just had a few opportunities and were clinical and unfortunately they weren't so clinical. So they will have earned a lot from, from what's happened in the last few uh, few campaigns and also put to bed all the uh, Hedberg chat and, and mm. kind of thrive on, on their own two feet without this uh, reputation kind of hanging over them. We mentioned that England could face either the Netherlands or Canada in the last 16. So let's talk a little bit uh, about both of those sides. Uh, Vivian Miedema is now the Netherlands' all-time leading scorer after two goals in their 3-1 win over Cameroon. She would be a real danger if England had to face them, Rebecca. Yeah, she is something of a sensation. I mean, I think in terms of kind of, you know, youth and growing profile and just the sort of buzz that she gives off when she's playing, she's very much there, sort of Nikita Paris, really. Um, she, I mean, she is just extraordinary. I, I actually interviewed her when she first joined Arsenal a couple of years ago, and she was fresh off the back of winning the Euros with the team. I think you can't underestimate the power of confidence in these situations. She's riding high off this amazing confidence at the moment, breaking these records. Um, people might have seen the footage on, on social media of all the fans who'd come over um, for the for the latest game because basically they could travel so easily from the Netherlands that something like 10,000 Orange Army, they call themselves, fans traveled wow. down. And, and you can't underestimate the power of that at World Cup. And if she's got 10,000 people staring behind her, she knows she's the all-time top goal scorer. I think she's just got this whole, she's in a whole different mental space, really. And, and we're going to have to focus so hard on kind of isolating her, making sure, sort of suffocating her position, as it were, and making sure that defensively we're really sound in that area because she could be an easily the, the biggest threat on the field. Let me just ask you, Rebecca, you mentioned that sort of sea of orange uh, with the fans that uh, support the Netherlands. Is, is that the norm? Do the Netherlands really get behind uh, the women's team and have they been doing so for a long time? Certainly since they won the Euros, there's been a massive, massive surge. Um, I mean, Molly and I were discussing this the other day, and, and from what we hear, I mean, fans now turn up just to watch the team train. They've got such a kind of reputation now. They won the Euros, they've done so much better than their men's team that they've got this kind of surge of support behind them. Um, and as everyone saw from those videos, being you know a Dutch fan is obviously a fantastic thing to be. I was quite jealous myself. Yeah. Um, 
so I think that since that, they've, the momentum has gathered and what has failed to happen actually often, I think in the UK, for example, is transferring success in Canada back into the leagues, back into the kind of, like, you know, you'd never get England fans turning up to England training, not really. Um, whereas over in the Netherlands, it's really captured the imagination and they've really run with it. Mm. Um, and I think geographically it helps. They're so close. It's such an easy thing for them to come and, and spectate and, and cheer. But they've by far been the best and, and now most famous fans of the whole tournament, definitely. <laughs> they certainly are. And as for Canada, well, they seem to be winning on and off the pitch. They're joint with the Netherlands on six points. They've even impressed Shania Twain with a rendition of Man, I Feel Like a Woman, each to their own, of course. Uh, the two teams meet on Thursday. Claire, is this the biggest game of the tournament so far? Canada have, have a really solid spine, Um and and they are frustrating teams. Equally, Netherlands have you know have an array of striking force, which is is quite scary. And as we were just talking about, then uh, Medema is is going to be hard uh, for for Canada to try and uh, nullify. But they've got the experience, um, and uh, it's hard to call that one. I I think if Holland get the early goal, I think they will go on and, and it will be quite straightforward for them. But if Canada uh, frustrate. Uh, Holland, I think it will be a it will be a nil nil draw in the end because Canada aren't as free free flowing and free scoring as as Holland, so they'll be looking to probably nullify rather than create as much. Now, last week we were discussing Thailand's thirteen nil defeat by the US. They were beaten again on Sunday, but their goal in the five one loss to Sweden was one of the feel good moments of the tournament so far. Their stoppage time goal drew tears from the coaching staff and was applauded by even the Swedes in the crowd. Rebecca, it was a lovely moment after what had been a demoralising defeat to start their tournament. Yeah, it was. It was really redemptive. It was really, really beautiful to watch. I think. Um, Claire tweeted, I, I, I liked your tweet, Claire, but Claire tweeted saying, <laughs> you know, this is what football's all about. And, and you know, the Swedes applauding applauding that moment. That is what the game is about. That's what we're all here for, those beautiful moments of kind of of triumph over adversity. Um, I think it's, it's very similar to what we saw with Argentina celebrating that draw as if it was a win and, and uh, celebrating the saves as if they were goals. Like, it's so much more than just what that means in that moment on the pitch. It's about the journey they've come on to get here, how hard it's been for them to be here. Um, and it and it was just a joy to see. You know, it was, it was so deserved. They haven't um, necessarily played poorly, but they've been up against some of the best best teams in the whole tournament and it was it was great to see them actually kind of stick out you know hold their ground and, and come away with something to be really really proud of yeah Claire Rebecca referenced your tweet there you said this is what football is all about yeah. a universal all-inclusive all language that has no barriers and, and brings so much joy obviously that goal for you just well just so important yeah. and so so <clears throat> so like just delightful for a you thailand team that's been through so much yeah i am um, i was watching it and it actually brought a bit of a tear to my eye. i'm not <laughs> really an emotional person but I sat, <laughs> I sat there i was like oh you can just see the kind of joy yeah. exploding from their faces and and almost relief that it it kind of was their announcement onto the stage and not off the back of a lot of you know press about the the usa game and i actually did come out and say that i i I didn't think there was anything wrong with America being so relentless and ruthless because it is a World Cup. Um, on the on, on the switch of that, it was just so nice to see such an underdog get a goal, even though it is mean it means nothing in mm. in the in the um, broad scheme of things. It means so much to them players and so much to the managers because that goal was a fantastic goal, and the build-up play was fantastic. Mm. So. That is a step in the right direction from there for them, 
and that is a positive they can learn on and build on and it's about giving um, these teams the stage um, and the opportunity to highlight what they need to improve on and, and you know what what needs to change and I think that's exactly what will what will come out the back of this um, World Cup for Thailand um, you know there does need to obviously be an increase in investment in the grassroots level to improve the standards and facilities and infrastructure and everything that comes in with being a, a fully professional football team and hopefully this this will just kind of awaken the nation to the needs of, of that and they'll be back and be back stronger. Mm. Uh, it's funny, Rebecca, I, I was once told there's no such thing as a consolation goal, but Thailand will take that one for sure. I think, that's, yeah, I think that's that's definitely, there is such a thing as a consolation goal. Dare I say, maybe particularly in the women's game, maybe there's not a consolation goal if you're, you know, flown first class and you've got a chauffeur and you're being paid millions of pounds to be there. But maybe there is, maybe it means a bit more, you know, if you're a female player and you've had to overcome what they've had to overcome to be here. I think it is different to the men's game. It's a different journey. It's a different struggle um, than it is for men now. And, and so in that case, I think maybe, yeah, maybe it means more to them than we normally think in, in, in the game. Mm. Uh, and Claire, is this proof that teams such as Thailand do deserve their place at the World Cup? Because a lot of people after that 13-0 loss yeah. were suggesting that the, the the disparity between the two is too great and teams such as Thailand shouldn't be involved. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think they should be involved. Um, as I was saying before, it's, it does highlight the gap. Um, but if we kind of select the teams that should be involved, we're, we're only going to increase that gap because the visibility isn't there for the lesser teams. Um, and equally, they qualified by uh, default because something about North Korea, I think, potentially pulling out. But they qualified nonetheless and they deserve to be there because of that. Um, and that's the end of that. I, I don't like to... It's, it's You know, it's like... Um, you know, being on the weakest team and getting picked last. It's not nice to be in that situation, but what it does do, it improves your strength of character. So, mm. um, yeah, they should be there. It's, it visualises the gap, but there's nothing wrong with that. OK, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Claire Rafferty and Rebecca Myers. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Thursday after England face Japan and we'll look ahead to the round of 16. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.